0: Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by Smart Logic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Sundy Mint, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Owen Bickford. Hey, Owen. Hey, Sundy. And my executive producer, Rose Burke. This season's theme is Elixir in a Polyglot Environment, where we talk about how Elixir works with other languages. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Max McClure from New Perio. Hey. Hi, thanks for having me today. Yeah, thank you for being here. Now, did I say that right? I didn't read that all the way through. New Aperio. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> okay. I saw a pear. My brain went to pear tree. I saw one yesterday for the first time in real life. You know, this is where we're at.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sunday is on a fruit tree saga, right? You're.
0: I am. I am. I've got fruit on the brain.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah.
0: What is New Aperio and can you tell us about it and about yourself and...
2: Yeah, so Nuapiru is a custom web and mobile development shop, and we do everything from greenfield projects to helping clients get new ideas off the ground, and we will also do maintenance for old projects or if somebody has an already established Ruby on Rails or Elixir project that they need help with or maintenance or fix-up, we do that as well. And we primarily work with Elixir as one of our main Tech stacks that we really like. In addition, we do Ruby on Rails and React Native for mobile apps.
1: Cool. And you've been at New Appirio for how long?
2: I just celebrated my one-year anniversary about two weeks ago. Congratulations. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> nice. Do anything fun? We actually have a really fun tradition at New Appirio that I like. Every year when someone is celebrating their anniversary on that day during our daily check-in, we all say one of our favorite things about working with that person. And oh, so that I was looking great. forward to that for a few weeks. I was like, yes, my turn's coming up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to say everyone was going to sing you happy birthday. And then I remembered it wasn't a birthday thing. <laughs> we once impromptu did that to somebody. I can't remember who, but it's more logic like someone had a birthday. And we just were like, okay, we're going to sing them happy birthday. One, two, three. And then like two people started singing and the rest of us just slid off the screen. <laughs>
2: It's such a sad-sounding song, the United States version of it. It just sounds like a drudgery.
0: The United right. States version of it. What other versions are there? Because I've heard it sung in different languages, but it's like the same tune.
2: Actually, in Mexico, they sing Las Mañanitas, and that is a completely different tune. Much more upbeat. Okay. We won't put you on the spot. Please don't make maybe sing we'll, it. Maybe <laughs> we'll look it up. We'll look it up.
1: All right. On three. One, two, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but maybe you can dive into your background, maybe something a little more comfortable.
2: Tell us who you are. What's the elevator pitch for you? So my elevator pitch is I am Max. I use they, them pronouns, and I identify as non-binary. It's a sort of a big part of my life. And I am a junior web developer at New Aperio. and I've been there for a year. It was my first web development job after graduating Flatiron's boot camp. So I went to a pretty no, a fairly non-traditional way getting into this field. And if travel is a hobby, I am well on my way to making it one <laughs> and always looking to improve a travel work setup and be a productive remote worker. And I really try to find balance in my life between work and physical activities, yoga, walking, running, yoga, different foods, and just socializing and everything. So, it's a little bit about me.
0: Awesome. And so, you found programming after Flatiron. I think we saw that your background was in
2: philosophy and biology. Is that correct? That is correct. I did my undergrad in Iowa as a biology and philosophy double major. So, that was my Bachelor of Arts. And so, I worked a few years as a laboratory technician and never really thought about computer science or ever really heard about web development until I was doing a volunteer year in Mexico, which is how I know about Las Mañanitas, and during that year, I was working for a film archive that specialized in Mexican-made films, and they didn't have a website, and they really wanted one, and I was volunteering for them, like, I have no idea. I could maybe try to figure something out, and so I actually used Wix.com to help build that, and that was my first exposure. And it was very rewarding to build something and then actually see people use it. And it actually helped get more people involved from the community once they were able to see that and access it. And so after that volunteer year, I was like, I wonder if I could do a little bit more besides using Wix.com. And my cousin has been a Ruby on Rails developer for many years and had been talking to me about it. Every family get together. Have you tried it yet? Like, have you thought more about getting into web development? And he also did a boot camp. So after all that pushing and prodding from different sources, I decided to give it a shot. And so I did Flatiron for about nine months, and then ended my job search and landed at New Aperio. Wow! And so this is really
0: early in your career by like traditional standards. So you found Elixir pretty quickly for that,
2: yeah? I like to say Elixir found me. Okay, okay, so, great. So New Appirio was traditionally a Ruby on Rails shop, but has more recently adopted Elixir as one of our main tech stacks. And as such, I had Ruby and I had React, which is another framework that they like to use. And because I had some of the stack that they use, they're like, we can teach you Elixir, it's fine, you'll learn it. And so day one, I was learning Elixir. And I have been doing it ever since I started. (laughs) That's
1: awesome. So you left Flatiron, like basically fully trained for Ruby. Do you feel like you're even though you're not primarily working in Ruby, you're still using all the lessons you learned from Flatiron and your Elixir development, right?
2: Yes. It was interesting since Elixir, the from what I've been told, it's was kind of written with Ruby on Rails in mind. So there are a lot of similarities and crossovers. And so parts of it were intuitive, like how the file tree is organized and such, but other parts learning, going from a object-oriented programming language to a functional programming language was definitely a struggle. And that was one of the harder pieces about that transition. So I
0: just love talking to people who are early in their career or at least early You know, to programming specifically, but with who find Elixir really quickly because, you know, we are also a consultancy. We're also training people to learn Elixir. I'm an engineering manager. So I was just like, all of the time, I'm thinking about ways to make it easier for people to adopt it better, but also so you can have productivity while you're working on projects. How did you handle that balance of like learning a new language? having some experience with Ruby, but also feel like you were productive on your first project that you were kind of introduced to?
2: It was really hard for the first few months, honestly. And I can't claim to say that I did a good job of balancing it, but I had a really strong support team, which I think was really important. We have a lead developer that was in charge of my onboarding And we had a very mini three-day Elixir bootcamp where I learned some basics of Elixir and started doing some Phoenix and very little bit of Live View because that was the project that I was going to be working on was relied heavily on it. And having small features to work on within the... It was a project that they'd been already working on for about nine months for a client. And so having small features to work on I built a drop-down filter component. was one of the very first things I did and at the time felt very complex and took me a few weeks, but having small things to gradually build up to was really helpful and getting lots of constant feedback.
1: So you've been learning all this in the past year, it sounds like, and so this must be fresh in your memory. Is there something that you feel like clicked? Something like like a hurdle that you cross that, that sticks out in your memory?
2: I think one of the Points felt really good was I built a progress step wizard. So it's a menu for a form to fill out that has many different pages. And so I had to build a mobile responsive stepper so you could click on the different steps and get to the different pages of it. And that was both a very technical front end challenge for me because that was my first time really doing mobile responsive in addition to just general production level programming work. And It felt really good when one of the senior developers was able to use that component to actually build this massive form they're working on. They're like, this is really easy to implement. Thank you. You did a good job. And so that was kind of when I'm like, yes, I'm kind of getting, I'm doing the right thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That validation is crucial, especially early on, you know, just to hear from people above you that they appreciate the work you're doing. And and yeah, that's great to hear. And by the way, yeah, layout, (laughs) you know, people don't, Back-end engineers especially don't always kind of recognize how complex the front-end is and layout, especially when you're working across multiple screen sizes and form factors. It's not a walk in the park. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and all of our developers are full stack. And so we are all expected to be able to do all the things. And so that's also been a huge learning curve, too, is not just focusing on one particular area, but... I do focus on one thing for a couple of months and then I'm switching gears into doing something still in the same project, but very different in the tech stack.
0: If you could give like one major piece of advice to somebody learning Elixir right now, what would that be?
2: Reading the documentation for, I suppose this isn't Elixir specific, but Phoenix is really helpful. Their hex docs. I found have been some of the best documentation that I have ever read. Not that I have a lot of experience with it, but really reading it and getting into it. And then at that point, going to seniors or mids or someone else that you know who has a bit more experience with questions and always asking lots of questions, even if you feel silly about it, because sometimes your brain just gets all twisted and not, and you need someone to help you untwist it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so at Aperio, you said, you know, you mentioned Phoenix just now, we've talked about Elixir. So is the stack you're working in daily pretty much the Elixir Phoenix standard, or are you working in some other things at other places?
2: I'm still working on the project when I was first onboarded on. It's been a very long ongoing one, and it is the Elixir Phoenix live view, and we have a PostgreSQL backend. And... We also do a lot of Tailwind and custom CSS and TypeScript and Alpine JS for when LiveView doesn't quite give us the reactive responsivity that we need or interactivity. So you're full pedal? Yes, we are a pedal stack. (laughs) All right.
1: Where's the R in there? Is it a pedal, (laughs) pedal, hurdle, (laughs) (laughs) if you're using React? (laughs) Or maybe maybe it's just Alpine, I forget.
2: We're just doing Alpine. React is what we use for our mobile apps. Gotcha,
1: okay. React Native.
2: Native. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha.
0: Yeah, you just started naming everything out. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, Ah, that's Petal. Cool. So how are you liking it? Like, how do you think that stacks up to, no pun intended, how do you think that stacks up to some of the other things you experienced in boot camp or otherwise?
2: I really like having... Elixir kind of across the board as your back end and your front end just cuz I think it's easier than like when I was building my final project for school I had a Ruby on Rails back end and a React Native or excuse me a React front end and sometimes doing the context switching between writing in Ruby and then writing in JavaScript can be challenging and there is some of that to a degree in Elixir Phoenix LiveView but it's all still the basic language And I really enjoy that, having a little bit less context switching. But then also the other parts of the pedal stack with using TypeScript and AlpineJS and the Postgres. It might not feel like a polyglot system, but in my mind, especially since I still feel very fresh and new to programming, it all feels new. And so it feels like multiple different languages are going on, even if it's not... Many different sort of grand scale programming languages. Now, that sounds like right. a lot of
0: languages to me.
2: There's a lot going on there.
0: There
1: are
2: five. There are five things going on. <laughs> no
0: one can see me counting my fingers, Owen. No one can.
1: Hey, we could fit Pedal and, <laughs> and Wordle if we oh uh, if we hack the app.
0: <laughs> All right, so this is no longer a Greenfield podcast. People in 2027 will be like a what? A, wor- oh, right. a wordy what?
1: There's a fad game that I play every day called Wordle, and it's amazing.
0: Future proofing <laughs> ourselves here. <Yes. laughs> awesome. While we are, you know, getting onto our our hobbies and our tangents, please tell us all about Star Wars.
2: Whatever you well, want to say about Star Wars, that you've got the floor. Oh my goodness. Well,
1: the floor you have.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is the floor. I grew up watching Star Wars with my parents and I even remember going to see episode one in theaters with one of them. And I don't remember anything about the actual movie from seeing it in the theater. I've since seen it again, but just going to that experience with all these adults just going gaga over Star Wars. And now it is back and Disney Plus has been coming out with all these grand new series and currently on a bit of a Boba Fett and the Mandalorian obsession. They are great. And I love all the little nuggets that they drop back to the Clone Wars animated series. That's how you know you're a fan.
0: Yes. (laughs) I will say, uh, I can't believe I'm admitting this basically on the internet, but I didn't watch any of the Star Wars until after the Mandalorian was out. Yeah. I see some surprised faces here. I walked by, the Mandalorian was playing in my living room and my partner was watching it and I was like, huh, that little guy's cute. A <laughs> that? Uh, that little baby noise happening over there. And so Baby Yoda got me in. Baby Yoda got me in. They knew what they were doing. Disney baby folks. Yoda for the
2: win.
1: The Mandalorian <laughs> but, has what, two seasons so far? Yes, it's two seasons.
2: And Boba Fett has one. Yeah. But I do really get excited when people are new to Star Wars and they get to experience it for the first time. Because I haven't had a first time with Star Wars in a long time.
0: I watched one movie a night, I think, after. That was like my thing that week was I watched – did I go one through – I don't remember what the – there's a way to watch it. I think I watched it in one through – how many is it again? (laughs) I went one, two, three, four, five and kept going. (laughs) That's how I I went. I didn't go like three, four, five or whatever it was. You went the
2: chronological order as opposed to the release order. (laughs) So, yeah, that sounds right.
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) There's a really interesting intersection of people – in, in like the programming community where just like some of us are just straight up nerds and then some of us are just straight up athletes, not to put people in categories, but it's always fun when we see like who comes to podcasting and thinks D and D is the game and not do not disturb. Like we were kind of chatting about earlier today. So it's really it's fun to geek out about something you're, you're passionate about, even if it's not coding related because that's honestly the more fun thing.
2: Sometimes <laughs> I think it's really important that we all have that balance that we have, we have our work that really gets excited, but then we have other things too. And that's one thing I really enjoy about working at New Appurio. We are also a whole bunch of nerds in different ways and connecting with each other on that level in addition to the work that we're doing. It just brings a little bit more joy to the job.
1: Speaking of other things that are not programming, I would be remiss to not mention we're releasing this episode the second day of Pride Month. So happy Pride, everybody. Myself, I'm on the, you know, I'm a gay man, so just to be proud of myself there. And yeah, so I think it would be great to have a short you know conversation here about, you know, we're living in different times. We all, I feel like we are able to express ourselves a little bit more freely than we used to be able to. And I just want to kind of get your thoughts and like uh, how you've kind of, the journey you've been through to discover yourself.
2: Part of my journey came almost after college. I grew up in a very small town and so with very limited access to TV or the internet. And I think that all the access that we have now has really changed how we are able to see ourselves and how we interact with the rest of the world. And I think that's why it's so important to really dig in and see how other people relate to the world and express themselves And for me, that is outside the gender binary and not assuming what other people, how other people identify or how they view the world. And instead, if you have questions, ask and be open to conversations, I think are really key to really maneuvering in this world where we are so much more exposed and have so much more access to different viewpoints.
0: Yeah, and this kind of message can definitely be applied to a lot of things. What you just said reminds me of Smart Logic. We've got a book club, and we've been reading is it "Difficult Conversations." Yeah, "Difficult Conversations." There was a section just sort of about how two people can be watching the same thing—a parade—and they can be seeing different things. I think the example was like a an uncle and their nephew, and like the nephew was super into the trucks. But the uncle saw the people or the actual flips, that's what they're called, right, in a parade. It was just, like, interesting. Like, you could be having the same conversation with somebody and you walk away and you have, like, totally different viewpoints on what happened. And it's just, it's really helpful just in a lot of aspects, but, you know, in programming as well to just be kind of open to different interpretations of a conversation to help you kind of get to the end goal of whatever it is. Not that you always have a goal, but, you know. Especially in our work life, we usually have a goal of a meeting or whatever we're doing, and it definitely helps to have a more open mind about all of that.
2: That's very interesting that you bring up work as related to that, because in our own workplace, with being fully remote and distributed, it's so easy to have miscommunications just by someone says in Slack and someone interprets it differently, or they read feelings into it that are very hard to see on words on a screen. And so being open to feedback and open to the fact that, oh, I might have misunderstood what they were trying to say and that applying both in work and as a queer individual or as a white person talking to someone of color, there are so many different places where this intersects and being really open to feedback and to being corrected and not thinking that you're a bad person or that they're trying to hurt you by saying you did something wrong but being open to the fact that what you said might not have been said in the best way and we can always be learning from these different communications that we have with each other
1: right i think we as professionals like we kind of understand we're going to get feedback about our work and the like the things we're producing and i think just to kind of applying that openness to feedback about our you know personal communications and relationships is a great place to be at, you know, mentally.
2: Mm -hmm. And I recognize that that's harder in a certain way because when I write code, if I get feedback on it, it's like, I was maybe in a bad headspace or maybe I just didn't know something and I learned something new. But if someone says something about how I said something and it hurt their feelings, it's like, Oh, that's more like an attack on me as a person. But trying to separate that is important because If someone's giving you feedback, it's not necessarily, it's an opportunity for you to learn. And they tell you that because they want you to be better, do better. Yeah. I think it's like
1: such
0: an interesting, well, sorry, I appreciate, especially the Elixir community because they're so open and welcoming, but just- the programming community in general, just when you get a chance to interface with a community, you get to talk to so many different people. You hear about people from different walks of life. One of my favorite things about Elixir specifically is like getting to hear from a lot of the folks who are at consultancies in Brazil and Uruguay. That's just really fun because they have like, you know, we write the same language, but we have very different day-to-day lives. And I remember one time just discovering that someone calling into a meetup from Brazil was on the same time zone as me. It just blew my mind a little bit. I learned a little bit more about the world, and it's fun finding the, those commonalities. But also just, you know, we get a chance to be exposed to so many different kinds of people, which kind of leads into the polyglotness of the whole thing, is that you're writing different languages maybe, but you're speaking different spoken languages, and then that, that it's just all It's a lot of brain input there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'll second what you're saying, like, especially like even going to, you know, a handful of Elixir conferences, you know, just walking in, seeing, you know, rainbow pens, just people being perfectly comfortable, you know, either identifying or expressing or just supporting other people. You know, I know we're not the only inclusive community, but I love seeing that whenever I'm, you know, at an in-person event or online, you know.
2: I think that is a great way that people can show up for each other, especially when we're talking about the queer community is even if you're not a part of it, if you're showing a flag either in your yard or a sticker on your laptop, just seeing that when if you've been having a bad day or someone misgendered you and you're just not feeling great, seeing that can be just like, oh great, yes, someone else kind of gets it. They would understand or they're a safe person to be with. And we're always listening, even if you can't see or you don't always know that you have non-binary or people outside the gender binary spectrum or who identify differently. Even though you might not see them or you might not see us, we're, we're here and we're listening. And so that's another great way you can just show up is even if you're not in a room where you know someone uses they them pronouns, you automatically introduce yourself using them just as a way to, if you have a listener, to feel recognized even and to feel like they belong in that space.
1: Just to kind of just put it out there like, hey, look, I'm an ally. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm here exactly. for you. So, yeah.
2: So, you know, we're
0: talking a little bit also about just like getting together in the community. Just it's on my mind a little bit because I saw Jim Freeze was talking about the Elixir Conf in the, one of the Slack channels. And so I was wondering, oh, and you and Max met at, Big Elixir, yeah. Max, right. do you have other conferences on the brain? Maybe
2: ElixirConf? I was not able to go to ElixirConf last year because of the pandemic. And I fingers crossed really hoping that I get to go this year. And for sure, going to Big Elixir in future years. That was my first tech conference. And I wrote a blog post about it and got some Twitter likes and feedback on it by Owen. That was a really great shout out. Thank you. And it was a really great experience. And having that sort of polyglot experience of talking with other people and meeting other people from other countries who use other languages, both in their communications with people and in the communications with computers. It's a really unique experience. And I highly recommend these conferences if you're ever able to go.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. I was just reflecting on Owen and I just came back from MPEX. And I was also in Colorado Springs earlier this year. So I was just thinking that all my travel this year is very mountain based <laughs> and I'm from a very not mountain town. So it's very, it's a very nice, different, I don't know. There's something about mountains that humbles you. You're just like, that's so large. I'm so small. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so yeah, Elixir Top would be great. Would your whole team be going or do you think it's just like some people go, oh, what does a new period tend to do when it comes to like Elixir get togethers?
2: It's hard to say what we usually do. It has been a very in-flux situation since I arrived between the pandemic, and we also doubled in size the year that I was hired. We went from a team of three to a team of six. We're very small. And when we went to Big Elixir, we actually turned it into a team retreat because four of our team members are in Louisiana. I'm in Minnesota, and our other dev is in California. So we turned it into a team retreat since we were all going to, all the devs were going to the conference. And so... I believe and hope in the future that the devs will continue going to these different Elixir conferences.
1: Yeah. Cool. Plus one for ElixirConf. Big Elixir was great. MPEX was great. Like I've not been to a bad Elixir conference yet. So
0: yet. Yeah. That's not well. It happen. probably won't.
1: Whatever happened, but yeah.
0: <laughs> We're not biased I don't know over I here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I hope my on judgment. Not all Elixir wizards. <laughs> no. Jim, it's got to be good. now. <laughs>
0: No pressure, Jim. No pressure.
1: All right. right. <laughs> hey, as long as the weather is perfect as it has been for all three conferences, you I've been to, just
0: jinxed it, Owen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was seventy degrees. That's okay, and it's like sunny. Yeah.
0: I've only ever heard good things about Aurora, so that'll be great. Max, I have been very curious though, ever since I saw this while we were kind of preparing for this. You said you were very into like desk setup and specialization. And most of the time people say that it's usually just keyboards, but I feel like you also talked about desks. So please elaborate. We must know.
2: All right. So I really got into ergonomics because when I was in my boot camp, I was just working on a donated laptop. And as a result, working on the MacBook keyboard and the mouse, I jacked up both my wrists pretty badly. And so once I got into a job, I decided I'm really going to invest in some equipment so that I can make sure I don't physically burn myself out of this career. And as a result, I have a sit-stand desk. It is pneumatic, so there's no electricity involved. I can easily raise it and lower it. And I also found that mousing was one of the triggers for causing my wrist pain. And so I did a lot of investigating into different keyboard setups and what I ultimately landed on was called the Moon Lander, and it is a split keyboard and the keys are all in alignment. So if you spread your fingers forward and back, they're parallel to each other. But most keyboard setups, the traditional ones, the keys are diagonal to each other, which forces you to go this way. Your fingers are spread out. And that is not natural. That causes more effort. Versus going back and forth, and so the Moonlander has columnar keys, so they're all directly stacked up and on top of each other. And it is split so I can separate it as much as I want. And I have gone to kind of the ultimate extreme. My two keyboards are on tripods that are on the floor, and my keyboard is right around my waist level. And so, I stand and my hands are down by my hips. And so, my fingers, wrists, elbow are all in alignment. And I type with my hands at my side.
1: I wish we could show Sunday's face right now. <laughs>
2: I'm trying to do gymnastics <laughs> in my head, but like my body is half doing it. All right. like That
1: I'm, is amazing.
2: I'm so confused.
1: I think I've seen I'm that looking. in sci-fi before. <laughs> like keyboard strapped to your sides.
2: My coworkers were really confused. They're like, "Why is it called a moonlander? That seems silly." And I show them pictures of my setup and they're like, "Oh, that's why it's a moonlander. It looks like something out of sci-fi that landed on the floor of your office."
0: <laughs> like I've been familiar with moonlander. We have someone on the team who's really into it, but I never thought, you know, oh, it's cool and sci-fi looking and, you know, it's white like the moon. Okay, cool. Never really thought too much about it. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's listening right now. Okay. We'll have to get a picture or something of your setup and, like, quote, tweet it or something when this episode releases because I don't think anyone else is going to understand it either.
2: It's hard to put it into words. This is true.
0: Yeah. As you saw my body contorting while I tried to figure out where, I thought you were going to say for a second <laughs> that you were, like, handstanding and, like,
1: typing <laughs>
2: from the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but it is some mental gymnastics to go from being able to see your keys. And if you ever misplace your hands, you just look quick, versus if your hands are down by your side, you can't see your keys. So you have to really learn your keys. And with the Moonlander, since I don't use a mouse, there's different layers to the keys. And so, depending on which layer on the keyboard I am, I can control my mouse. I can type the alphabet, type numbers, type symbols. I don't think I understood that you didn't have a mouse. That part is new to me. I do not have a mouse. My keyboard has a setting on it where I'm on a certain layer and I can press four different keys to move the mouse in the f- different directions. And so, north, south, east, west. And if I press two of them, it'll actually go diagonal in between those directions. Okay.
0: I've decided that, you know, those like Gallup Strength finder tests where you take like personality tests or whatever, like we have to put our keyboard preferences as part of that to really understand what like what kind of programmer you are buzzfeed if you're listening i got you i mean
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's like etch-a-sketch mode for the mouse it's like yeah in this direction and that mm -hmm. direction
0: we're not even talking about (laughs) what my keyboard setup is it works for me i have no pain but nobody you were bragging
1: about your cable management earlier so
0: cable management that i didn't put together (laughs)
1: Uh. (laughs) oh
0: I said I had lovely cable management. I said nothing about me doing it. But no, I mean, that's really awesome. I know a lot of programmers in general are real big keyboard nerds. So I'm really glad we got to talk about it. But my goodness, my brain is a little flipped upside down. Oh, and I'm going to have to hand the mic to you right
1: now. All right. Last question on the keyboards, because this is a real thing. Like, so, I mean, I think Jose was dealing with injuries and, you know, had to kind of was doing research, at least. Speak of this like I saw it on Twitter. So... Haven't spoken to him directly about his keyboard choices yet, but so I think he was doing some research about this. I saw people recommending the Moolander. My wrist pain has gone away lately since I got this little pad for my desk. It's like a little cushion for the touchpad, but I'm curious, what's your keycap preferences or key switch? Is it clicky, silent? Which direction do you go there?
2: Mine are pretty silent and I also go with the lightest touch. So I don't have to press very much at all to get the keyboard to register that I pressed it.
1: Which one is the quiet switch? Because just asking for a friend.
2: I'd have to look it up again. I think it's silver something. I can send it to you though.
1: Show notes. Show notes. That's what we're <laughs> show, show notes.
2: Amazing.
0: <laughs> Speaking of notes, I was going back through my notes and I remembered that I wanted to ask you. You know, especially because you came from a boot camp background, how did learning Elixir kind of change the way you think? About programming in general, or how it changes the way you program other languages, if you've revisited any of the ones you learned before?
2: I have not gone back to Rails at all since diving into it, but I have written quite a bit of TypeScript. And I have found that when I now look at TypeScript files that are sort of more class-based, and they're trying to behave like an oriented programming language, it throws me through a loop. And I have to really think back to what did I learn almost two years ago at this point about object-oriented programming language? And so I really now gravitate towards writing TypeScript in a more functional way. So writing out as just sort of passing data around in a similar way and splitting up files into a way that would mimic how I would split up modules in Elixir it has also been another thing that I've noticed. So it's affected how I organize my code and sort of think about how do I write this in a way that's going to be most readable for myself six months from now and my teammates like a couple of weeks from now. Yeah.
0: Thinking about writing your code so that somebody else can read it can totally change the way that you like it, that influences your code a lot. It reminds me of like putting like when I'm cleaning I'm like my cleaning for me? Or my cleaning because my parents are coming over? You know, it's a different level of clean. <laughs> so it's, you know, that's what the that kind of coding kind of reminds me of. And so do you kind of think about that for like code reviews or when you're visualizing for other people? Kind of
2: like, is it for code reviews or just like for future you even? A lot of it is for code review because still feeling so new. I always have this expectation of myself of I want to do the best I can so that I'm impressing my seniors. Not that there's any pressure to perform for them per se, but it's more of an internal feeling of I want to do the best I can. And that includes writing clean, clear code so that I sort of a personal goal is if I don't have to leave any comments for myself or for people reviewing my code, then it, that means I wrote it in a way that it's pretty clear to follow. And that means sometimes it's just as simple as a really obvious function name. Sometimes they're a little bit long, but when you have thousands and thousands of lines of code, having a longer function name, so that's really obvious what the is supposed to do without having to get into all the nitty gritty within it can be really helpful.
1: Yeah, and along the same lines, like I also find, so yeah, sometimes I'll put longer function names I also find that like trying to keep a consistent pattern across modules can be real helpful, so like I'm not gonna like create a user's module that like does things entirely differently from like a you know members module or something you know it's if it's a crud type module, it's gonna look like other crud type modules, you know
2: even organizing your files in sort of like the same way that so you're having all your get functions, your edit functions sort of like the same location across your code base, that can be really helpful too.
1: Right. Making it easy to find things within the code base. That's admirable. We try. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's what we strive easy. For. <laughs> Are there other languages that you prefer to use with Elixir? Is there like a dream combo in that pedal stack or outside of the pedal stack?
2: So really the fun, cool thing that I've been hearing about a lot lately is using Rust to sort of do some of these more heavy-handed calculations and computations, and it can do a lot faster than Elixir can. And so kind of a dream would be to someday dabble in that and learn a little more about it and kind of see what all the hype is. And that would be a fun thing to get into. But I use TypeScript so much to help augment what live you can do. And so I'm always trying to get better at TypeScript. It's challenging in different ways than Elixir is for sure. Yeah.
1: Is TypeScript your friend? Like, does it help you? Or do you feel like you're always kind of like trying to satisfy TypeScript?
2: I do think it's a bit of both. It's your friend, but it's also the gnat that's bugging you that you just can't get rid of. We all have that friend. We do, (laughs) we do have that friend. And I think TypeScript is kind of that for me.
0: And now all of our friends are wondering,
2: are they talking about me? Is that me? Right, Is Sunday. Me? Was, it,
1: was it me? <laughs> <Or>? <laughs>
0: oh,
2: that's so cute. We think that all of
0: my friends listen to this podcast. I wish. That would be so, <laughs> <laughs> so supportive. No, that's amazing. I do feel like there's a, a pretty strong crossover of people who who like Elixir, who also want to learn Rust or do no Rust. I think one interesting exercise, I don't know if you've ever done Advent of Code, I never really paid attention. Do you know what it is just before I go into it?
2: Feel free to explain it so that it, any listener yes, might absolutely. know what it is.
0: Absolutely. So in the month of December, there's like a coding challenge a day, and then people go in and try to solve it in their language of choice. Everybody, you know, just like everyone on January 1st says they're going to go to the gym. You know, everyone on December 1st, like, I'm going to do I've of a code. It's going to happen this year. It's going to happen this year. My favorite thing about it, though, is not doing it. But seeing everyone else's uh, answers to the test, right? Because it's actually really cool to see different Elixir responses, like different ways people do it in Elixir, but also comparing how different people do it in different languages. Because the question is the same, but it is there for all developers. And so, I mean, I talked about this a lot during... Advent Code last year, but now that we're talking about polyglot and you mentioned Rust, I was thinking it is actually kind of interesting, you know, when it comes back around, or you could even go back and look now, you know, at the way people answered it in Elixir, you know, in 2021, how people answered it in Elixir and how people answered it in Rust. It's a really good learning experience, even if you're not writing it yourself, just read and compare and contrast. And yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's just a really fun experience. I love doing that when I did not have the time at all to even attempt a single advent of code.
2: <laughs> that sounds quite fascinating. And I do think as developers, we often end up reading code more than we write, whether we're, we're reading old code bases or looking up answers on Stack Overflow or on the Elixir form, wherever it might be. And so... Even just being able to read different answers to something like the Admin of Code, that I feel very interested by in that and think I'm gonna look into it.
1: Even the Elixir source code is like readable. Like I don't go into source code for everything, but I've gone into source code for a couple of Elixir modules and Phoenix modules and you know, it's just as clear as the documentation. It's you know, easy to follow. Typically. Like sometimes you'll get into some messy or something that's just complex, but But yeah, it's, it seems to be as, you know, as well crafted as the documentation is.
0: And the thing about Rust is, I'll preface this, so as we always record this podcast when I, when it's like Sunday snack time, like I am getting off the phone and eating snacks. So when I see Rust, I think crabs, I have a lot of crab shacks near me and I'm dying to try them all. We're about to be in crab season. That is where my brain went when you said Rust. (laughs) I can end that thought there. Sometimes I think everyone listening to the podcast thinks I just eat all day. I really don't.
2: <laughs> hey, we need that to keep our brains going. So you eat yes. when you need to, Sunday. Right. So crabs immediately after this. Yes. Got it. Do it.
0: Crab Shack literally in every direction. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, and have you played with Rust? I can't remember.
1: I've not played with Rust. There was a NIF that I had to dig into for my side project for Port MIDI, and that was written in C. I think. And I don't know if I fixed anything or not. (laughs) I did learn a couple of things just from kind of skimming through that code. But yeah, that's something I kind of penned for later was, you know, maybe take a crack at that, you know, in Rust or Zig or something, you know, when I've got time to just, you know, play with code.
0: Cool. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, at Aperio there's like six folks, you know, including yourself. Is there anything in particular that you you noticed in terms of like opportunities or weaknesses that a polyglot environment could introduce that you want to share with folks?
2: Yeah, so when trying to find people to add to the team, if you're in a polyglot environment, it's very easy to find someone who knows at least something within your stack and has a certain amount of experience. But it's almost impossible to find someone who has experience in all of the all of the languages and in how you do things, and so there are pros and cons to both, so whenever we hire someone, there's always going to be training involved, and the degrees to which will vary, but that also presents an opportunity to sort of train people in the new imperial way, so to speak. And for me, when they brought me on, being fresh out of boot camp, I was very open to learning a lot of new things I hadn't even done, made a pull request before joining this team. And so there was a lot of learning and a lot of training opportunities. And the challenge with being on a small team is that everybody has to be contributing every day. And so it can be hard when you have to train someone, when you also know that you have a client meeting coming up and you have to have this feature ready. So there's definitely a balance and trying to find people that are eager to learn and want to learn that you, the stack that you use And are very curious Were some of the features and candidates that New Imperial really looks for when they're hiring people.
0: Yeah, awesome. That's really, you know, something that we all keep in mind when we're hiring and just thinking about how to grow and expand our teams. So that's a really good note for sure. Thank you so much again, Max. This has been such a great, like, very well-rounded conversation. I think we've hit a lot of the things. But if there was something that we didn't grab, do you have any final plugs or ask for the audience? Any social media where people can find your GitHub or any projects you'd
2: like support on? Well, my GitHub and Twitter are mmcclure zero one zero zero, and so we'll keep them in the notes, right, for the podcast where people can reach out. I uh, consider myself a bit of a nomad, so I'm always looking for places to stay. So if anyone has a city that you're like, I would love to have a guest stay here and show them around. I am always up for adventures like that. And other plugs, I have some new blog posts for New Imperial coming out. By the time this airs, I should have my one-year anniversary blog post out. And I will be working on a post for Pride Month. And this year's theme, I'm going to be collaborating with one of my coworkers to talk about queer name origin stories. So, Mex is not my government name, it's my adopted name. And so, we'll be getting a bit into that. So, those are some blogs that you can look out for coming from me soon.
1: Awesome. Happy Pride, everybody. <laughs>
2: Happy Pride. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of Elixir
0: Wizards. Thanks again to our guest Max for joining us. I'm Sandy and my co-host Owen. Our executive producer is Rose Burke. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic production. Here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. Need a piece of custom software built? Hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Your reviews help us reach new listeners. You can find us on Twitter at SmartLogic or join the Elixir Wizards Discord. The link is on the podcast page. And see you next week for more on Elixir and a Polyglot Environment.